Thank you, Jerry, for preaching an amazing message last week. Can we give her a hand clap for that? She did an amazing job. Thank you. So did Jackie in the first service. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year. So in other words, what the Jewish people did in the Old Testament could not change a human's heart. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship God. So remember, God's goal is to get us back to perfection. Perfection is God's goal. There is nothing less than perfection. As a matter of fact, let me share this with you. Unless you're, per- not, unless you're perfect, you cannot go to heaven. So anyone who says, well, nobody's perfect, nobody's perfect, listen, If you're not perfect, you can't go to heaven. Only perfect people are allowed into heaven. This is one of Jesus' commands. Please open up the passage, Matthew 6, 33, or rather Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. Does everybody see that there? So what must everybody be like their father? Perfect. Okay, now going back to Hebrews 10. But notice the law was only a shadow of the things that were coming, but not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those those who draw near to worship God. As we're going verse by verse to the book of Hebrews, we're learning what they did and why they did it in the Old Testament. It was a type and a shadow. It was to show them what God was going to do. But some people got stuck on that and said, well, this is all that there is. But Jesus had uh, to come and show them, no, 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 the law was the introduction to the work of the Messiah. Now, verse 2, otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? In other words, if the sacrifice that Moses was commanded to offer could make somebody perfect, why did they have to keep doing it? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Passover, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and so forth. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So why did God give them commands to do this if it was impossible to do what they thought it was doing? It was a shadow. Everybody say a shadow. Thank you. The law was a shadow. You were supposed to look at animals dying going, I'm supposed to die. You're supposed to look at the blood being poured out on you and others going, I need blood poured out on me. But in their scriptures, in their prophecies, was a promise that something greater would come. Look at verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering. See, what is Jesus doing when he comes into the world? He's quoting the Old Testament. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Everybody say, God's will. Thank you. What did Jesus say at the Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, but what? Your will be done. So notice that. What Adam and Eve had done wrong according to their own will, not following God's will, brought sin and damnation. 
There in the middle of this story, we're given the law of Moses, the 613 laws, to give us a shadow, a taste of what is to come. Jesus is the fulfillment of that law, and when he comes, he says, you really never wanted the burnt offerings. You never really wanted all of that sacrifice. You really wanted me, your son, to have a body that I could be the once and for all sacrifice. So here I am, Jesus speaking. Here I am. I'm in my body, and now I will do your will. What Adam and Eve didn't do, Jesus now does. Go to verse 8. For he said, or first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Is God a hypocrite? He commands sacrifices and then now he says he's not pleased with them? No, what he's showing is that was never the point. He was never trying to have a barbecue, lechon, all of these different things. That wasn't his point. But they were there for lessons. The same thing could be said of all the other laws. Why, did it they, uh, why were they not able to have the same kind of uh, vegetables growing, in uh, different kinds of vegetables in their garden? Why couldn't they mix claws together? All of this was not just because it made God happy, like, hey, I'm just happy that you guys don't put uh, you know, corn with wheat. No, it was teaching them lessons. It was preparing them for what was to come ahead. Now remember, the moral law of God never changes. If God was against lying in the Old Testament, how do you think he feels about lying in the New Testament? If God was against homosexuality in the Old Testament, how do you think he thinks about in the New Testament? It's the same. It's the moral laws of God. Why do sacrifices change then? Why do holy days and festivals change? Why do the, uh, the, the priests and the things that they change, uh, they, they do that change? These things change because those were the shadows. Those were the, the morals were never something that was going to come and go. The religious duties is what was going to come and go. That's what Hebrews is telling us. Sacrifice, offerings, burnt offerings, and sin offerings you did not desire. That doesn't mean he changed what a sin is. Well, now I don't want the sin offering so you, got, you guys can do whatever you want. No, there's still sin. There's still need for sacrifice. But the point is it will not be dealt with this way. It says you did not desire them, nor were you pleased with them. And oftentimes the reason why they weren't pleased with, uh, God wasn't pleased with them is it's the same reason why he's not pleased with Roman Catholicism. They do the same thing over and over and over again in the matter of a shadow. You ask them why there's incense. Oh, that's a shadow or a type of our prayers. You ask them why there's a saint. Oh, that's a shadow, a type of this good person. You ask them why they do all these things. All it is is just shadows. It's a bunch of make-believe. You all listening to me? Not all make-believe is wrong. God's make-believe, his shadows of the Old Testament, was to show you the winged angels above the Ark of the Covenant. That was to make you believe there was a heaven up there. But you weren't supposed to worship it. You weren't supposed to pray to that angel. Are you listening? Moses, what are you doing? Well, I'm praying to the angel. No, man, I'm right here. Could you imagine him talking to the statue of an angel? Hey, angel Gabriel, I just want to ask you for some help today. God would be like, what are you doing, dude? I wanted you to make this so you could see what it's like in heaven, so you could get an understanding of it. So make-believe can be used in a good way. Shadows can be used in a good way. Types and shadows and these kinds of things can be used in a good way. They weren't meant to be worshipped. They weren't meant to be what you thought of as what forgave you. You weren't supposed to look at the animal's blood and go, that forgives me. You weren't supposed to look at the priest doing something and going, you're the one that's my mediator now. That's not what they were supposed to get out of, but they did. Same thing like they do in Roman Catholicism. It's just a modern version of Judaism with a little uh, Jesus sprinkled on top. Now notice this. They did all of these things, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Verse 9, then he said, Jesus, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the what? Come on, help me now. He sets aside the first to establish the what? The second, so we're in a new covenant, a second covenant, another deal. That's why your Bible is broken up into old and new covenant. 
The new covenant is the second covenant. Once again, because we're going out today to the uh, Midwest's largest uh, pornography conference. We're going to Rosemont at 2 o'clock. If you want to join us, guard your heart and minds. Don't come out if you struggle with lust. But we're going out there to meet those who work in the triple X industry and to preach the gospel to them. Listen to me. As we go out there to preach the gospel to them, are we going to say the morals of God don't matter? Just come to Jesus and be forgiven. No, that's not what we're to say. What we're to say is the second covenant has the same morals of the first covenant, but you don't go to an animal or a priest to get forgiveness. You go to Jesus. Is everybody tracking with me? So the morals are the same. Anything morally he said in the Old Testament, that's what he feels in the New Testament. That's why when people say, well, he didn't speak about homosexuality, he didn't have to. He didn't speak against pedophilia either. Why didn't Jesus say it was wrong to rape somebody? Why didn't Jesus say it was wrong to rape your children? Why didn't Jesus say it was wrong to be a cannibal? Because the morals were the exact same of the Old Testament. That's why when he said, what is marriage? You have heard it said that a man shall leave his family and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one, and no one shall separate. And there's your definition of sex, man and woman. Can I hear an amen? That's it. So if you look at the Old Testament and say, well, look at all these things that change. You, you can eat lechon now. You can do all this. And oh, and how convenient now you can be angry at homosexuals. No, no, no. We're not picking and choosing what we like and don't like. This is what Jesus told us. This is what the apostles taught us. This is how we are to look at it. Sacrifices change. Burn offerings change. The Levitical priesthood change. You remember reading that before? Jesus is now our high priest. Those things change. What remains the same is the sin, the morals, the characters of God. We're not being inconsistent. We're exactly to the letter what Jesus told us to do. If Jesus wanted to say, hey, the father was a meanie in the Old Testament, you can do whatever you want now. That's what I would say if the scripture said it. But it doesn't say that. Throughout the Bible, Jesus is continually affirming what the father said when it comes to the morals. And then the rest of the stuff, go to Matthew chapter 5, please. In Matthew chapter 5, before he said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, keep scrolling up. He said, I have come to fulfill the law, not to change the law. Keep scrolling up a little bit more. Let's go, let's say, around verse 20. Go up to around verse 20. It's going to be after the Beatitudes. Notice this right here. We go. Thank you. Yeah, what did I say? 20. Where are we at here? Yeah, close enough. Look at 17 on through 20. Do not think I have come to what the law? Abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. So he's not against the law. Jesus is not even against those things necessarily, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the order. What he is saying is, I'm fulfilling them. I'm bringing out the shadow. And the reason why I keep bringing, my, bringing up my phone is because I was showing you guys before, what would you rather have, my iPhone or the shadow of my iPhone on the table? What would you rather have? The iPhone, right? So here's the shadow. What would you rather have, an animal sacrifice or Jesus as your sacrifice? What would you rather have, the Levitical priesthood or Jesus as your high priest? What would you rather have, uh, you know, festivals, a temple and all of that, or have Jesus live in your heart, make you the temple of the Holy Spirit, and have every day a feast? Amen? Right? So let's go back to that passage in Hebrews. He's teaching us. He's reminding us. This is all review. That's why I'm going through it quickly. He said in verse 8, sacrifice, offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. They were offered in accord, though they were offered in accordance uh, with your law. Then he said, here I am. This is Jesus speaking. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made what? Holy. See, there's the perfection. Holiness and perfection are synonymous terms in the Bible. So by the will of Jesus, not my will, not my good works, not the things that I have done nor you have done, we have been made holy and sanctified through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. For how long? Once. Everybody say once for all. 
Thank you. Say it again with me. Once for all. One more time. Woo, you guys are awesome. Thank you. I want you to hear that because that's why we don't need communion to bring us uh, a sacrifice to then bring us forgiveness. That's what the Roman Catholics teach. That's why they want you to come to the Mass. Now, you can take communion as often as you like in remembrance of Jesus. That's what he said, in remembrance. He didn't say do it for forgiveness. Am I, am I talking to anybody here? He didn't say do this for forgiveness. He said do this in remembrance. There's a difference in saying for forgiveness and for remembrance. We do it in remembrance. So that's why they're incorrect when they continue to bring up their communion as a means, along with their confession, all of their prayers to the saints, to somehow get you to be holy. See, the Christian looks at Christianity starting at the finish line. Roman Catholicism and then every other works-based religion says, let's get you started to work on your spirituality, and then at the end, if you're good enough, you get to the finish line. Christianity starts at it is finished. Jesus finished the race. Jesus finished the goal. Here we are. Now, what are we doing? We're running out our race of our life in days and minutes, hours, etc., but we're not doing that for salvation. We're doing that because of salvation. I don't do good works to be saved. I do good works because I'm saved. Can I hear an amen? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, this is the gift of God. It is a gift. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork or his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So because God has worked on us, worked on me, I can now do the good works. If I was not first worked on, I couldn't do good works. What has to happen first for an airplane to fly? Does it have to be worked on and made, or does it come out of nowhere and just start flying? It has to be worked on. Once the plane is worked on, then it can work and fly, correct? What has to happen with the child? Can the child do good works first or have to be born first? Okay, so why is everybody trying to do good works to be born again? It's backwards. You're born again, then you do good works. That's what Hebrews is saying. Going back to the notes, please, quickly. This is all review. I just want to get through it. I want to make sure that we can get to our new uh, sections today. So thank you for your patience as I move through it quickly. You can go back through our past lessons if you've missed any. So he's being very clear here. I believe this is Paul speaking. He's saying Jesus is there to do the will of God. He establishes the second covenant. Okay? Now, what did he accomplish? He accomplished what we needed. We needed perfection. We needed forgiveness. We needed holiness. We could not do that without Jesus. Now he did it. Verse 11, he goes back to the old way of doing things. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So if you don't have Jesus fulfilling the law, just doing the law, it's good for nothing. And remember, he actually has used that word before, that phrase, good for nothing. It accomplishes absolutely nothing. The only reason why it was blessed by God is because God knew Jesus was coming. The shadow was an evidence that Jesus was coming. Verse 12, but when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice. How many sacrifices? One. Thank you. Sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. That's what we're waiting for, Jesus Christ to come back, judge the world. Now look at verse 14. Highlight it, please. This is what I did my doctoral studies on, over 100 pages. I wrote a book on it in him in the back. It's free for anybody today who wants it. For by 
by one sacrifice, he has made what? Perfect forever those who are being made holy or sanctified. Now just hold your place there if you have your Bible. Verse 14, by his sacrifice, we have been made perfect. And now just scroll back up to verse 2, please. Uh, uh, Verse 1, rather, the latter part of verse 1. By these endless sacrifices, year after year, it did not make anyone perfect. Does everybody see that? For this reason, let me just read this whole thing out again, okay? Because I want to make sure you see it. For this reason, it can never, the endless sacrifices, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect. Does everybody see that? I want to make sure you see this. I really do. Highlight make perfect, please. I'm going to make sure we all see it. Highlight it. Put stars next to it. Make it a meme, okay? Those endless sacrifices could not make perfect those who were coming to them. Yes or no, right? You with me? Amen? Can I hear an amen? Can I hear a yes? Okay, you're tracking with me? Now what does make us perfect? Go to verse 14. What does make us perfect? One sacrifice. Jesus. Go back up again, verse 1, latter part of verse 1. Did endless sacrifices. Go to where it says sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly. Sacrifices repeated endlessly. Did that make anybody perfect? No, it never could. Highlight never for, for me, please. For this reason, it can never Not sometimes, not maybe on a good day. Religion, no matter how good it is, can never make someone perfect. Think about this. If the 613 laws that God commanded Moses to do could not make you perfect, what in the world do you think Islam does for you? It does absolutely nothing for you, makes things worse. What do you think Buddhism does for you? What do you think Roman Catholicism? If the Old Testament, what God actually commanded, he never commanded Father Mike to dress up like mother in pink and purple satin with a big pointy hat and to have you call him a name by the Father. If that was never commanded and people are doing that, what do you think is the, the matter with people's hearts and souls that they make idols out of things when Jesus' very commands could not make them perfect in the Old Testament? The very commands of perfect, uh, of commands could not make you perfect in the Old Testament, how much less calling a man uh, who dresses up like mother, father. I mean, put up a pope here. Just put up, uh, put up a fancy, put it in, fancy dressed pope. Do you think any of that's in the Bible? Yes or no? And I know it's funny when I say it like that. He dresses up like mother and wants to be called father. It's an old joke. I didn't make it up, but it's so true. They got satin on. They got frills and chills. And I'm not making fun of Roman Catholics like we don't love you, but we want you to see the silliness of this. Jesus told the Old Testament priests, there you go, some satin, some whatever. Jesus commanded the old, these are like Halloween costumes. Don't get the Halloween. I want the real deal. I don't know. That's just a white uniform. No, no. Put him in all of his pomp. Say, Pope in his pomp. P-O-M-P, Pope in his pomp. I want you to see a picture of the Pope. See, now, it's funny, but I want everybody to listen to me. I'm serious about this. Thank you. He's always just dressed in white right here. Let's go down a little bit. We might, we might have to ask for a cardinal or a bishop. There we go. Just go up this one, Pope, Pope Francis. Right? Just go up a little bit right up here. That one right there. Okay, so with all the frills and chills. Do you know that in the Old Testament, maybe it's not pink, maybe it's red right there, okay, or a little bit of pinkish. I don't know. But listen. Do you know that in the Old Testament, they were told exactly the cloth of the priest's garments, the cloth that they were to use. They were told exactly what to wear on their breastplate. They were told how to hem the garment. Are you guys listening to me? They were taught how to have an ephod on. So if that could not make you perfect, what kind of world of a mess do you think that puts you in? 
Does everybody get my point? I don't care how much we are to respect each other. I respect this person. He's worthy of human dignity. But this right here does nothing for the forgiveness of your sins. His dress, him dressing like that does nothing for you. It doesn't matter how he dresses. The the great artwork and ornateness of a Roman Catholic church does nothing for your spiritual perfection. Nor does me wearing a hoodie and and jeans. Okay, going back to the notes, please. And we pray for our Roman Catholic friends, and I pray for him to get saved if he's not. I don't know his heart. They do believe in the triune God, and they've done many good things as well as some horrific things. Okay, that's why we protest them. But everyone hear me on this. Four by one sacrifice. Not a pope, not a new priesthood, not another religion called Islam, not Jehovah Witnesses, not Mormons, not Buddhism, not yoga doing the crooked chicken, not trying to be a vegetarian eating, eating uh, beyond meat or whatever these things are now that are pretending to be chicken but are not chicken, that have more chemicals in them than you would want. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, here's a healthy way to eat. We've created fake chicken. How about I just eat the normal chicken? How would I just eat the normal? Why do I want chemicals making something to look like a chicken? Why don't I just have the chicken? But you see how crazy people are? Hey, we've experimented and we've grown meat in a laboratory. That you, can, you can research that, seriously. We've grown meat in a laboratory. No, <laughs> what you have drawn is made something gross in the laboratory, and I'm sure it's good for some people, but I'll always take the other stuff. I don't know if anybody ever watched Parks and Rec, but I love it when the two have a barbecue contest. One has a vegan burger, another one has a real burger. The Chris, you know, the guy Chris, he's making his vegan burger with all of these ornate things and all of these things. He's going to the Whole Foods. He's going through this whole thing. And all Ron does is go to, like, groceries and stuff, like some corner store, and he just gets meat. He puts it on the grill, plops it down, and everybody doing the taste test is like, absolutely, this is better. And then Chris, the guy, he eats it, and he's like, of course this is better. Now he's convinced, right? My friends, you can never get away from the real. The real is the real is the real. Christianity is real. Christianity is not about religion. Though we have religious practices, here's a pulpit, here's a stage, here's a keyboard, here's a screen, there's a Bible in your hand, it's made out of paper. If it's new, it smells good. But none of that religion will save you. Lighting incense won't save you. Having saints won't save you. If it didn't work in the New Test in the Old Testament, why are we trying to do it now in the New Testament? And then you could put on top of that all the Christianese things that we do now. K love, conferences, buy this book, that book, this book, this pastor, this thing. And it's all my friends, I know well intended by many people. They're not trying to worship Satan, but it does not cleanse the heart. Notice what the Bible says. One sacrifice he has perfected forever those who are holy holy or are sanctified. How many want to be holy today? Then come to the one sacrifice of Jesus and never leave. You'll have all that you'll ever need in that one sacrifice of Jesus. The Holy Spirit also testifies. Notice he's a person. He can speak. He's not merely a force. He testifies about this. And first he says, Holy Spirit speaking, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their heart and write them on their minds. Who writes laws on our hearts and uh, who writes them in our hearts and minds? What's that person called? The Holy Spirit. How many have the Holy Spirit today? Amen. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the new covenant. You don't get that through religion. You may have a spirit, but it sure ain't holy. Amen. 
You got the spirit of kundalini. You got the spirit of your guru. You got the spirit of Muhammad. That's why you act like him. But listen, you can have the Holy Spirit if you come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit writes on your heart and your mind, thinking about your emotions and where you think. God puts those things in you. Now, verse 17, then he adds their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. That's why we don't fear uh, purgatory. How many are happy you don't have to worry about purgatory today? How many know the Pope? He has to still think about that. He could be going to purgatory. What guarantees him he's not? If you're saved by works, do you got God's scorecard? Hello, does he? He doesn't have God's scorecard. The very bishop you could be going to could be having a worse time at purgatory than you. My brothers and sisters, that's not salvation. If you've been saved, you've been saved from damnation. There's not a middle ground called purgatory. And yet think about how many millions of people believe in that today. And then many even supposed Christians hold on to that belief. Well, I'm not very good, but I still love Jesus, and I'm better than everybody else that I know, so I think I'll be all right. So what are they thinking? After they die, there's going to be a car wash. No, my brother or sister, if you're not clean now, you're not getting cleaned up there. You, death does not clean you. Death is not your spiritual car wash. The only difference between my friend Brandon who died two weeks ago and me right now is Brandon has lost his body and he's in the presence of the Lord spiritually. That's the only difference. I'm as perfect as he is right now. You are as perfect as he is right now. Well, it will be saints when we get to heaven. No, you're a saint now. Well, I ain't a saint. Well, I won't argue with you then. I guess you ain't one. But how many know you're a saint? There's either saints or ain'ts. It's one or the other. Which one are you? I'm a saint. I'm a holy one. I'm who God made me to be. Well, I don't think I'm like that. You're probably not, and I'll take you at your word. Get saved then. Get born again. Saints are saints now. Christians are Christ-like now. Go to 1 John chapter 2, please. Christian means to be Christ-like, to be godly, to be like God. How many are godly in this place today? Amen. Then live like it. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him, talking about Jesus, must live as he did. How many know you're supposed to live like Jesus? Amen. Now go to 1 John chapter 4, verse uh, 17. This is how we know that love is complete among us so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like who? Oprah Winfrey? Steve Harvey? Biden? Who does this say we're like? Jesus. If you're not like Jesus, you don't get to go be with Jesus. You don't get to die, then get changed into Jesus. You do it now. Amen? You do it now. You become like Jesus now. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what about all the areas of my life that aren't like Jesus? That's what he's working on now. He is doing good works in your life. But listen to me. Salvation is complete. You are not changing your status as being saved by the more works you do. I want you to Google this. My wife will help you. Google this past sermon, brother, that I did. You're doing amazing back there. Google this back there, uh, the Ephesians series. It's going to be towards the end, and it's going to be around good works. Nancy, would you help him, please, and bring up that chart? How many know the progressive chart that I'm going to bring up here? A few of you? Okay. Bring up that progressive chart. It's going to be in the Ephesians series. If you can't find it, bring me my laptop, and I'll get it for you. What most people miss is that they think because we still do good works, because our attitudes are still not perfect, because our words are still not perfect, that somehow the more we do better at our words, the more we do better at our actions, that that equates to us becoming better in our nature. In other words, let me summarize it like this. We think through our behaviors, we change our nature. And that is not the way the scriptures work. Let me ask you like this. 
Who is a person or what are people born as, sinners or saints, according to the Bible? Sinner. They're born as sinners, correct? Can a sinner change their nature by doing good things? No, so no matter how many old ladies a sinner helps across the street, no matter how many times a sinner gives to the poor or to the charity, no matter how many times sinners do those kinds of things, do they change their nature? No, because their nature is inherited through Adam and his rebellion. And then because of their choice to make a sin or to do sin, they come under the judgment of God. So they seal the judgment of them being sinners. They're born as sinners and they act as sinners, therefore they're judged as sinners. Now listen, if good works does not make a bad person good, then why do people think that bad works make a good person bad? I want you to think about it again. If good works does not make a bad person good, do why do people think that bad works make a good person bad? Because they have misunderstood salvation. Salvation is a gift that you inherit through you being in Christ. Your good works and your bad works can determine things on judgment day. And if you continue in bad works to the point of unbelief and get cut out from Christ, you can no longer have the status of a good person. But listen to me, brothers or sisters. You can no more change your status from a saint to a sinner by your good works than a sinner can change their status to a saint by their, ba- by their good works. So you can no more change your status from being a, sin- a saint to a sinner by bad works than a sinner can go to a saint by good works. Does that make sense? Did you guys find it? Grab me my laptop, please. I'll find it for you quickly. Thank you. I want everybody to track with me today. Progress is not for salvation. Progress is for behavior. Behavior does not change nature. This is the biblical understanding. And the reason why we miss so much of this, going back to the notes of Hebrews, is because we think to ourselves that the more that we do, the more that we will be. And the more that we do, the more that we will be. And we do, 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 do until it's a bunch of doo-doo. You are not saved by good works. You are not maintained by good works. You do not change yourself by good works. Notice what the Bible is saying. The sins and lawless acts of the Christian are remembered no more. Is that because of all the good works they did? Is that because of all the good works they did? No, it's because of what Jesus did. Scroll up just a little bit so they can see it, please. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Thank you. Now stand here, and I'm going to show you where to look it up for me. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect for how long? Forever. Those who are being what? Being what? Thank you. Don't do this. I got it for you. Thank you. Just keep preaching with me, y'all. Keep preaching. I'll help my wife up here. Listen to me. By one sacrifice, he has made what? For how long? Those who are being made what? Holy. So I want everybody to look, look at your neighbor and ask them now, how holy are you? Ask them. It's kind of like a trick question. Look at your neighbor and say, how holy are you? Come on, ask your other neighbor how holy. It should be, I'm perfect. That should be the answer. Love you, baby. All right, grab those slides I just sent you, my brother. 
What was your answer? I'm kind of, sort of holy, a little bit holy. If it was anything other than perfectly holy, you're not saved. It's that simple. Now, let me, be, let me be very kind and gracious to you. Some of you are saved, but you don't know what salvation means. So because of your ignorance, you don't know what to say. That's okay. I don't always know what to say. God's not petty. But many of you don't have this doctrine, and you can see by the way you live. You don't understand who you are. And so what the author of Hebrews is telling us is it's done. He's speaking to the Jewish person, and he's saying it's done. But they want to keep doing the works of the law. They want to keep earning it, but they don't understand. It's done. And you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. If the one sacrifice doesn't make you perfect, then what are you waiting for? Let's just start right there. I see he's getting to put up this slide. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. If the one sacrifice of Jesus is not enough to make you perfect, what are you waiting for when it comes to perfection? If it doesn't make you perfect forever, that's wrong. Tell me what you're waiting for. And that's why I said sometimes people say, well, when I die, I guess. Well, death is your savior. You worship death. You're like the Hindus who have gods of death. Is that what you worship? I think Shiva's the god of death. Is that what you worship? We worship Jesus, do we not? We worship Jesus, the one who was dead but was buried and came alive. I don't worship death. Death is not my savior. Death does not perfect me. Death does not cleanse me. There's nothing spiritual that happens at death to transform your nature. So what's the other thing? Well, I'm waiting to do better things. So you think Jesus' sacrifice is not enough to make you perfect. You now have to come alongside of Jesus, do better things, and now you'll become more perfect? That's not what the Bible says. Now, I understand some theologians have tried to make that. Uh, out to be what sanctification is. It's a continual process. That's why they fight over these translations, being made perfect or made perfect or being sanctified or sanctified. You can look in the King James. It puts it both in the t past tense. And I've argued with these theologians, and I have my opinion over this, but I'm even having it being read to you just as it is because it doesn't change anything. Whether or not you are made perfect, according to this, uh, 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 this verse right here, has to do with whether or not you've received that one sacrifice. That's it. That's the bottom line, because what did he say above that? Endless sacrifices repeated never make perfect. Does everybody get that? Do you have, the, the, do you have it to come up? It's on the desktop. You don't see it? Okay, please check out the desktop. When you and I do not live holy, it doesn't mean we're not holy. When you and I do not live perfect, that doesn't mean we're perfect. Just like a sinner, when they, sin, uh, when they do something good, that doesn't mean they're not being a sinner anymore. Does everybody get that? I don't think they do. Get me a board, please. I'm going to draw on it. Put this the other one up, uh, the other one up, and I'm going to draw it for you. I, I can still tell you guys don't get it. I knew when I left second service the, what, two weeks ago, I could tell some, so many were confused. I'm going to draw this out till everybody can see this, until my spirit is calm and I don't feel worked up. I still got to get to the message, though. But I do feel like I left this a little bit hanging last time, and some of you guys don't get this. And this doesn't mean you're better, like I'm better than you, because you could show me like 100 things. Joe, don't you understand the carburetor? I'd be like, I don't get it. Don't you get it? No, I don't get it. Trust me, there's things you do that I don't understand. And some of you do get it, but I'm going to draw this. to the. I'm going to put up five illustrations. I'm going to tell it five different times. I'm going to make sure everybody gets this. Can I hear an amen? Okay, just take your time and think through this. Thank you, my brother. Just take your time and think through this. And now I'm going to go a little slower, I guess. Okay, here we go. Here is a sinner. We're going to call this Sinner Bob. Everybody say, hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Bob is a what? Center. Okay, now, when Bob does all that Bob does, what's a nice thing Bob can do? Bob can give to the poor. So Bob here gives to the poor. 
okay? Is Bob now changed and brought over here, and we're going to put this one as a different color. We're going to call this, look, they both start with S. So we're going to call this a sinner, S-I-N-N-E-R, right? And then we're going to call this a saint, okay? And everybody say Billy. Everybody say, hi, Billy. Okay, so here's Billy, and Billy's a saint, okay? Because Bob gave money to the poor, does Bob now become a saint like Billy? No, okay? What's another good work he could do? He could, um, he could go be in the military. He could lay down his life. Look, we'll have him die. He died for somebody, okay? How many know good people die for others all the time? You know, military, police officer, firefighters, 9-11. Okay, by this guy going to die in the fire, does that now mean he's a saint? Okay, no. What changes a sinner to a saint? Jesus. The one sacrifice, okay? Now, when a sinner, we'll make, him, we'll make him alive now, okay? When the sinner becomes a saint like Billy because of Jesus, now he is a saint. Now, listen to this very closely, okay? This is where we're messing it up and we're not getting it, okay? When Billy now, who is a saint, he looks at X-rated stuff like where we're going to go today. Does that now mean he's a sinner? See, half of you still don't get it, and I have drawn it out, but that's okay. I've got five more illustrations. <laughs> Doing this does not now mean he's a sinner. It doesn't mean he's a sinner. Everybody let that sink in. Everybody let it sink in. Think about it. Let me give you another illustration right here. Let me give you another illustration. Here is a wyrostic, a wyrostic. Over here, we'll just call somebody a Jones. You know, hopefully nobody's named Jones here because we won't put this on the bad side, even though Jones can be great people. Okay, here's a wyrostic. Here's a Jones. When my child, the wyrostic, does naughty things, does that now mean they're a Jones? No. And if Jones does things like a wyrostic, just once again, not an offense towards the, 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 the Joneses here, let's say they give to the poor, does that now mean a Jones becomes a wyrostic? Okay, this is why, brothers and sisters, when I teach you that Christians can lose salvation, you guys get messed up when you're talking to people who disagree with us, like Moody, other Baptists, is because what they try to get you to tell them is what thing does a Christian do to stop being a Christian? And it's almost like how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll pop? You start having to like make up stuff to explain to them how you go from here to here. Listen to what the Bible says. David, after committing adultery, David committed adultery. David committed murder. Psalm 51, go there quickly with me, please. And he said, in this state, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So what did David still have after being an adulterer and a murderer? And then you could put here a liar. He must have still had the Holy Spirit, right? Is everybody tracking with me? Where are we at here? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Yes, yes, yes. Where is it at? Here we go. Here we go. Verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence or do what? Take your Holy Spirit from me. Now all of my Baptist brothers and sisters who believe in one save, always save, go, yay. 
See? See what I'm saying, Pastor? Look at David. David did all of those naughty, bad things. And what is David? David's still a Christian. Now go to Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 14. Okay? You guys need to understand this. This is good for the whole church. It's not going to be verse 14. Um, go up a little bit. Go up a little bit. Keep going. Keep going. No, no, it's not going to be 17. Go to where he, the, the Spirit left him. It's going to be maybe 20 now. I can't remember off the top. Whoever gets it will get, be my friend for the day. I don't, I don't know if I have any gift cards to give you. I wish I did. I thought it was 17. But no, it's, it's going to be 16, 14. There was a 14 in there. There we go. Thank you, good sir. You're my friend for the day. Everybody's my friend, but you know what I mean. Now the Spirit of the Lord had what? Departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord came, from him, uh, came upon him and tormented him. Now go back to Psalm 51, please. Go back there quickly. Keep it open. Psalm 51, what was it, verse 11? Psalm 51, verse 11. Look at it. Do not take your presence from me. You mean David did far more than Saul did. Saul, what did he do? What in the world did Saul do, man? Think about that for a second. Saul's over here, and what does he do? He disobeys a command about a sacrifice. That's it. Samuel tells him, do not sacrifice till I get here, and he sacrifices and he disobeys. But guess what he had leave him? The Holy Spirit. David's over here wiling out. Somebody say, wiling out. David's wiling out, and he's still got the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit does not come on you based on your good works, and He doesn't leave you based on your bad works. You do not go from being a child of the devil to a child of God by good works, and you don't go back to being a child of the devil from being a child of God because of bad works. Put up the illustration now, please, of the, um, of the vineyard. And we'll just push this to the side. Those two examples. I have two more I could do, but I don't, I think, how many are good with this? I don't need to do two more because I have two more on the top of my head. I'll just come up with them because they're very similar. Does a Chevy become a Ford because it now has a Chevy bumper sticker? Come on, guys. You see what I'm saying? No, you get it because the change doesn't happen just because of exterior things. When you're talking about Christianity, the illustration of the, the vineyard, I had it for first service, please. Thank you. When you're looking at salvation, this is where you're messing up. And that's why many of us, we don't understand what's going on with Hebrews. Hebrews is telling us perfection is done from the Lord. It is the Lord who does it. Now you can see once this illustration comes up why it matters to stay in Christ because if you come outside of Christ, you're now outside of this. You're outside of the blessing. You're outside of what the Lord has for you. When Jesus taught us, and this ties into first service, that he is the vine and we are the branches, what he was teaching us is as natural as it is for a grape to come forth from a vine is as natural as, as it is for you to be a Christian when you're in Christ. Is everybody tracking with that? But if you are cut off from the branch, or rather from the vine, that branch will die. So the question is not whether or not you're doing good works or bad works. That is not the question. 
The question of identity, and maybe this last lesson would be good for us. Can I get an eraser, please? The, the last lesson of identity, yeah, thank you, sir. Whatever that is, we'll count as an eraser. Thank you. The, the, the way that we have to understand this is the difference between identity and behavior. Everybody say identity and behavior. What makes a dog a dog? What makes a human a human? It is their what? Nature. No one can see that. This is garbage. Can you throw that away from me when you have time? Good, sir. Thank you. Just don't even want to hold that in my hand right now. I don't even want to look at it. Everybody say nature. So intense right now. I don't know why. I just feel like I'm so intense. Dude, I wanted to get to the second part. Here we go. Yeah, I miss you guys. Look at this. A dog is a dog based on its what? It's nature. A human is a human based on its what? Now, notice what you didn't say. You didn't say behavior. You notice that? You didn't say behavior. You said a dog is a dog based on its what? And a human is a human based on its what? It's nature. Now, from the nature comes what? Behavior. You understand? Everybody get this. Take your time and understand this. Nature determines behavior. That's why when we are born as sinners, we're vipers and diapers. You don't have to teach a child how to sin. I don't care how sweet and cuddly they are. Trust me, I have six of them. They are all sweet and cuddly until you say no. Are you all listening to me? And how many know if they were the size of uh, one of these wrestlers and, and you said no to them, they would body slam you and kill you. Now you know why God makes them small to begin with. Because if they were the size of an elephant, they would destroy the whole house. And, and like I said, I've got a, some of them were sweet, some of them were sassy. I won't pick out the ones right now, but you know, and it doesn't matter how sweet they are. You take that bottle from them, and if they were the size of like Andre the Giant and could, they would crush you and squeeze your head like a grape and just kill you and take the bottle back. Because their nature has to be defined and, and put into boundaries. You don't have to teach them to lie and to steal. They'll do that naturally. You have to teach them to share. Is everybody tracking with me? Now, God is merciful to children. God is kind to us when we're being raised in a fallen world. He says the kingdom of God belongs. So that's why we never abuse them. We just train them up in the way of the Lord. The nature determines the behavior. Now, going to Hebrews, everybody think about that. And remember, if you're in the grape or in the... In the um, the vineyard of God, you then are the grape of God, okay? For by one sacrifice, he has made what? Perfect for how long? Forever those who are being made holy or are holy in his sight. So look at this. This sinner without the sacrifice of God by nature is naughty and is a sinner. It's going to stay that way. So why do sinners sin? Because it's in their Nature. Ah, now you got it. Amen. Write this down, Joe, so we can save time next time. Go to this example. Did this one really help you guys, the nature thing? That really, so I should forgot all the other stuff and just went right into this one. Okay. So notice this. Now, guess what the Christian is by nature? They're holy. That's why you don't like to do the things you used to do. But then now, here's the thing. Sometimes, watch, sometimes the sinner does something good. And sometimes the saint does something bad. But does that change their nature? No. What will change their nature, watch this, is what they do 
with Jesus. That's what's going to change nature. When the sinner believes in Jesus, they become a saint. When the saint stops believing in Jesus, they become a sinner. This is the actual doctrine that was taught by the apostles. Not once saved, always saved, and not some silly thing that every time I sin, I lose my salvation. Because otherwise, you're back to the, uh, the, the game. Well, what sin causes me to lose my... If sin makes me lose my salvation, then what sin is it? And how many does it compound up to be? Then you'd be questioning your salvation all the time. Why well, lie today? Did that, did that mean I lose my salvation? Committed adultery. Did I lose my salvation? Then you'd be wondering. See, it's very simple. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, please. It's very simple according to the scriptures what causes someone to lose their salvation. And we'll get it in Hebrews chapter 10 as well. But it's very simple. It's already been drawn out for us. It's already been said to us. As a matter of fact, it was used as an example towards the Jewish people. So go up a little bit more, please, in Hebrews chapter 4, go, going down further in the context. Thank you. Keep going down. Keep going down. Now notice this right here. Notice, uh, go down a little bit more, please. Go down. Okay, sorry. It's in chapter 3. Sorry, chapter 3. Yes, exactly. Here we go. Now notice this, chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, the same one who writes in the, law, the laws of God in our hearts and minds says to us, today if you hear his voice and do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness when your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years I saw what they did, that is why I'm angered with that generation. Their hearts are going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger. What did he say to them, they shall never enter my rest. So they once were good, now they're bad. What changed? Their heart. It wasn't just the behavior, it was the heart. Now get his point. Here is his point. He'll say it better than I'll ever say. Look at verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that then does what? turns away from the living God. So what does continual sin cause someone to do? To turn from God. That's what Saul did in one or two sins. David had not yet did that in a multiplicity of sins. Does everybody see the difference? I'm going to pause here because this is so important. And also I don't feel like repeating it next week. That's just my impatience as a pastor. Can you guys stretch forth your hands and pray for me? I feel like I've explained it like two weeks now. I feel like I'm done. But if I have to, I will because I love you. Amen? I love my job. You know, like, have you ever had to do something two or three times? Anybody? You just got to do it sometimes. But I'm just letting you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is really awesome. It's the hall of faith. I really want to talk about those people. So do you think we can get this in the next 20 minutes so I don't have to talk about you losing your salvation next week? Because I really don't. I'm just being honest. I don't want to teach you next week about losing your salvation because I feel like you're going to get it right now. How many are going to get it right now? You're awesome. Many of you are so much smarter than me. So I say that in humility, and thank you for those tracking with me. So here it is. When we go back to our board, when we go to the dog and the human, we think about natures and the wyrostics and the Joneses and the sinners and the saints. Everything there has to do, for our example, with the heart and what you want to be. If you want to be, in this illustration, going from a dog to a human, if you believe, you get changed. That's the illustration. So if I was making a little kid's story, it wouldn't be about transgenderism. It would be about your nature changing. 
Do you understand? Your spiritual nature changes. I go from a sinner to a saint, which is actually what God made us to do. He always wanted us to be saints. That's what we were supposed to be. And that's why I believe, just as I tapped on it, that transgender confusion, all of that is all because of the sin issues we're dealing with. Many people don't feel safe in their own skin. But it's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And so instead of dealing with gender dysphoria, uh, instead of them trying to fix their gender dysphoria with changing their body, they need to fix the gender dysphoria by changing the heart. That's my solution. It takes a long time to, to get people to understand that, but it's really quite simple. It's a heart issue. This is, it's just a heart issue. It's, I know it seems more complicated. There's a lot of science involved. Trust me. I read the journals, but I'm telling you, it's coming down to a heart issue. Now, going back to our notes, please. And then I'm going to read it, and we'll put up this chart because I think this will help everybody. For by one sacrifice he made perfect forever, those who are being made holy are those who are holy. Now go back to the progressive, uh, progressive salvation versus complete salvation chart, please. If you think of salvation as this chart, go, uh, that's not the right one. That's like uh, points. Go to the one that actually has the, um, the chart with the, um, the circles. There you go. Thank you. If you think salvation is this, then you don't understand what it means to be perfect forever. Okay, is everybody tracking with me? Because this is what your salvation then looks like. Someday I'm at 10, 10%, other days I'm at 80%, then I go back to 20%, I really lost it in traffic. That is not salvation. Because remember, once, once you and I are secure in our nature, behavior doesn't change it. No matter how much a dog acts like a human, it never becomes a human. No matter how much a human acts like a dog, it never becomes a dog. But if there was a way to change their nature, then it would make sense, right? Just in that crazy example. Everybody with me? Okay. So a sinner does not become a saint this way. Well, now I did a little bit more good works. Now I've prayed a little bit more. Now I've gone to church. This is why, this is, by the way, how we're talking about uh, Christians think they're demon-possessed. This is why a lot of Christians think they're demon-possessed. It's because they're not even a Christian. Most of them don't even, know, don't even know what the gospel is. And so they think because they were brought up in church, they, they sang a couple songs, that they're Christians. And they're thinking they're doing better. They don't even know what the gospel is. You don't get saved that way. Now, once again, it's okay if you don't have all the language and, and you're not as smart as me. Well, you know, I'm not as smart as you, Pastor. I'm just trying to love Jesus. That's not, listen, that, that's not what we're here for. It's not about being petty. I'm saying when people actually think they're working towards salvation and they think that, they're actually wrong. They're not saved. A saved person knows they're saved. Does everybody get that? You know you're saved. You believe you're saved. If you're not believing that, you're believing another doctrine. It's another religion. That's why I try not to be too harsh with the Roman Catholics, even though we tease them a lot here. It's because this is what they've been taught to believe, and I feel sorry for them. That is not what Jesus taught us. There is nothing in Scripture that says this is what equals this, that one day you go from being here to over there. The only way we go to 100% is instantaneously by the grace of God. Amen? Going back to the Scripture, now let's keep going. Still the introduction, but I think we can get to the message. How many are ready today? Let's go. One sacrifice, you're perfect forever, those who are being made holy. The Spirit testifies that this is the covenant that he'll make with them. The Holy Spirit will write his law in our hearts and minds. Verse 17, the sinless acts that we committed will be remembered no more. That's what happens. That's a benefit of a new nature. 
And now notice verse 18. And where there has been for, uh, sins have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Wow. The Bible said, everybody get that? Highlight it, please. I don't think they all got it. Are you all forgiven? Then there's no more need for sacrifice. So why do we keep looking at Jesus on the cross? Jesus is not on the cross. He's in heaven. I don't need to see an emaciated, white, blonde hair, blue Jesus anymore. He's done. He's, res he's an Israeli man resurrected to heaven. That's my Jesus. I don't need to think about it in that way. I'll do things in remembrance of it. I don't want to forget what he did for me on the cross. But I don't need to think about needing another thing, another sacrifice. Now, what is the application? Here we're getting to the message. Thank you for your patience. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have what? Confidence. That's what I've been trying to build in you this whole time. See, because if you don't understand how nature's work, that you're a saint now, you're not, you're not confident. You sin once, you all discourage. Oh, I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore, you know. And then, and then you remember when I said this. Come on, somebody's got to help me. Do you all remember when I said it a couple weeks ago? You all need the same swag as the sinner out there that thinks they're saved. That's what I was trying to get you to. They're deceived. They're over here as full-blown sinner as they can be, but they're confident in their nonsense that they're going to heaven. You ask any sinner out there, you going to heaven? They're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to heaven. They're as sinful as sinful could be, but they got a swag about them, don't they? They're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to But they're deceived in that deception. They're deceived in that. But then I talk to Christians, how do you think you're doing? How holy are you? Well, I don't know how holy I am. I am not doing it. I'm like, man, you need to have the swag of the sinner, but the doctrine of the saint. And I don't mean pride in that way. I just mean the confidence. I just mean confidence. They have a false confidence. I mean, I have had people swearing at me going, I'm a blankety, blankety Christian. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, if that was supposed to convince me, it didn't work. Am I not telling the truth? Who was with me in the uh, um, uh, Puerto Rican festival when we talked to the lesbian who kept screaming at us, telling how safe she was? You know what I'm talking about. She kept trying to cuss me out, tell me how much of a Christian she was, praying, rebuking me. She kept rebuking me, thinking I was Satan. But I, come on, but I want you guys to have that confidence when it comes to knowing who you are. Not that pride, brag, braggadocious way, but that sense of confidence, confide, faith, that you know you are who God said you are. Even if you do sin, you're not going to allow that sin to take you over. You're going to be quick to repent. You're not going to go back and listen. I mean, put it up there for me, please, and Peter, just like a dog goes back to its vomit and a pig to the mud is what sinners and backsliders do. You're not going to be a dog going back to the vomit. You're not going to be a pig going back to the swine, uh, back to the, uh, the mud, I believe that's Second Peter. You're going to remain in the nature of a child of God despite your mistakes. Listen to the scripture. Though a righteous person fall seven times, they will get back up. Though a wicked person falls seven times, they'll get up. No, a wicked person never gets back up. The Bible says they're dead in their sins. But who can fall and get back up? A righteous person. Though a righteous person falls seven times, they get back up. That's the proverb. Get it in uh, Second Peter, please. Notice this scripture. He's quoting from the Proverbs. There we go. Thank you. Awesome. This is what it talks about as a backslider. Of them the Proverbs are true, which our good brother had found for us. A dog returns to what? Its vomit. And a sow or a pig returns to its wallowing in the 
mud. Okay, but hold on, I thought we were sheep. How does a sheep go back to being a dog? How does a sheep go back to being a pig? The nature changes. And how did the nature change? This is actually a good example because before it's like, you know, trying to explain this to you. This is like a fifth example. It's actually from the scripture. We're sheep right now. How many are sheep right now? Okay. But why does it say if you go back to your sin, you're like a dog? Or if you go back to your sin, you're like a pig because your nature has changed. Now notice this quickly in closing, please. Nature is not determined by your behavior, but by the one you're connected to. In the scriptures, the Bible says you're either connected to Adam or you're connected. Can I have somebody clean this off for me, please? Maybe one of you sisters or brothers. Thank you. Just put this over here because I want to show this to you. Thank you. You are either connected to Adam or you are connected to God. And if you are now connected to God and you stop being with God, you go back to Adam. And that's why it says the nature changes. Because I'm not a dog right now. Thank you. That was awesome. Let's give it up for our helpers today. It's amazing. Okay. Okay, think about this, right? We, just, we did the vine and the branches, but I'm just going to do a tree and fruit here, okay? I'm just going to do two trees with some fruit. Here is the tree of Adam. This is the first man that sinned and were born into condemnation because of Adam, right? And then here is Jesus. Somebody say the second Adam. That's what the Bible says he is, okay? Somebody say this is me. Come on, say this is me. There you go. Are you in Jesus right now? Amen. That's part of one of the logos we put up in the triune God because of Christ. You're in Jesus. Now, what happens if you get cut off from Jesus because of your unbelief? You are now brought back into who? Adam. And that's why the Bible says, like a dog returns to its vomit and a pig back to its, uh, its mud. That's what it looks like. So you are either in two you are in one of two dimensions at any time. This is how the Bible speaks about us. It's not like you have an angel on your one side, a demon or a devil on the other side. That's a, a gen. That comes from Islam. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not yin and yang. That's Taoism and other different Eastern philosophies. Christianity is very simple. That your nature is either in Adam as a fallen sinner, or your nature is in Christ as a born again perfected saint. That's one or the other. And so when we talk about someone losing their salvation, what we mean by that is not you lose it like how you lose a set of keys or how my wife loses her phone, and I do love my wife. It's not how that happens. Well, here's the joke on me, how I lose my kids. Seriously, yesterday we were coming back from the abortion ministry, and I forgot where my kids were at, and I just kept going home. So my wife had to remind me. So I'm telling on myself now. And then the other day I was supposed to take home Bethany, and I forgot her at church. She texted me. She goes, where are you? And I go, I'm heading home. Where are you? And then she's like, well, I'm at church. You were supposed to take me home. And so joke's on me, okay? But listen, you do not lose your salvation like how I lose my kids or my wife loses her phone. This right here is a choice and an act of faith. Both are acts of faith. This, the world of Adam, is false religion. You could put false religion, humanism, sinful pleasures. All of those things are there, and people have their faith in these things, and that's where they're at. Do they have behaviors that follow their nature as they're in that tree? Absolutely. Sin is sin, and sin will separate you from God because sin will lead to your unbelief. So on this side is unbelief in Jesus... Right here, I spelled unbelief wrong, but I think you get it. And on this side is faith. 
This is what determines whether you're in or you're out. Now, going quickly to Hebrews in closing. Here we go. So, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, faith, to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Remember, everything in the temple represents Jesus in some way or another. Even the curtain, as it separated the holy place from the holy of holies, represents his body. And since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, so the high priest would represent Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full what? Full assurance that what brings? Faith brings. So do you enter into God's presence with your good works? What do you enter into God's presence with? Your faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Even some of my fake demon casting out friends who say, well, well, I agree with you, Pastor. Christians can't have demons in their spirit, but they have it in their body. No liar, liar, pants on fire. My body is washed with pure water. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. No demon can come close to this. Amen? The only way a demon can come to this body is if I no longer have the spirit that protects me. As long as I have the spirit that protects me, my body's protected. You think the Holy Ghost is going to be like, oh, y'all, oh, yo, devil, you can have his hands and his legs, but I got his heart. Would you say that to a predator? Oh, I got my daughter's heart, but you can have her hands and her legs. Oh, the devil is a liar. I protect all of my daughter. I protect all of my children. Amen? The Holy Spirit cleanses us inside and out. That's why Thessalonians says, be blameless, kept pure in your body, soul, and spirit unto the day of Jesus. Now look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Those who are swerving all the time, sipping on that purple drink, drinking and driving. My sister died drinking. It's serious, but you know what I'm saying. They swerving in their faith. How many know people that swerve in their faith? They're not right with God. How is a true Christian? They hold unswervingly. They're not going back and forth. For he who promised is faithful. Now look at this. Here comes the commands. And let us consider how we may gently love each other to good works. No, listen, there is a time for gentleness, and then there's another time to put that spur on your behind. Yeah! Yeah! You all ever seen a spur? I wish I could saddle up one of you right now and spur you a little bit. We'll get a real illustration of what a spur will do to you. Because it said spur one another on. Where's Big Vicente? I'd like to jump on him right now. Yeah! Yeah! You throw me off. Pastor, get a black eye today in church. Just spurring you on, brother. But that's what we think, you know. Oh, man, you're not being gentle. I'm not saying we, always, we shouldn't be kind. Of course we should be kind, gentle. But, bro, sometimes it's going to feel like I'm spurring you. It's, it's sometimes going to feel like that. So why are we upset with each other? Brothers and sisters, you should care, uh, you know, care enough about me to spur me on. Look, notice what it says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So now that you're in this nature, yeah, man, there's stuff to do. You're supposed to bear fruit here. You're supposed to be doing good deeds here. You're not supposed to look at David. And the lesson of the story of you watching David isn't supposed to be like, I'm going to be an adulterer now too. 
How many know it would be quite a something to try to watch me saddle that man in the back? (laughs) One of us would be going to the hospital, the other to jail. And I could definitely volunteer myself for the hospital side of things because there's no way. Just for the illustration, brother. No, man, you ain't getting on me like that. There was one pastor that convinced a member of his church to let him spit on him. Remember that with Michael Todd and the example of Jesus putting spit? Man, please don't ever let me spit on you like that. That'd just be funny. Man, I want to saddle you up. (laughs) No, man, it ain't happening. But listen, that's what the Bible says. Spur each other on. Now notice it, love and good deeds. You're supposed to have good deeds. You're supposed to have a life that looks like a Christian. The moral of the story of David isn't isn't supposed to be like, well, I guess I'm going to murder somebody and have adultery. You're supposed to look at, though he still remained a Christian, he got his life jacked up by God. He got it punished severely. Yeah, there's a lot of saved people in jail right now, but how many know you don't want to be in jail? Right, They still may be a Christian. They may not have lost their faith. And, that, and only God knows the difference between the sinner acting like a sinner and a saint sinning and God protecting them. Okay, God knows who is his, he said. He even says the weed and the, the wheats and the weed grow up together, and we don't know them all. You know, we can't tell the difference quite a bit. But the moral of the story isn't just, man, let me sin as much as I can and still try to go to heaven. That's not the moral. The moral of the story is to look at that going, man, God is gracious. Wow, God is great. And he's, he's severe, too, because, man, when Saul messed up, he had the spirit taken from him, and then he saw himself on the next episode of Poltergeist. He went from being a, a godly man. Seriously, uh, Saul, man, got demon-possessed. So you're not supposed to go, like, see how much I can get away with. Same thing with Samson. Remember, the Bible says he shook himself like he did in times past, but he knew not that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. So you may not know when you switch in sides over here because it's a gradual switch, a switch, and that's why you shouldn't live in sin because it hardens your heart. It dulls your conscience, okay? And now look at what it says in verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now verse 26, here was the message. I'm getting to it now. I think I can do it in like the next few minutes. If we deliberately keep on what? sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth. No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Why? Because if you're here and you keep sinning and you keep sinning and you keep sinning, eventually that heart goes towards unbelief and then you find yourself over there. And even the Bible said, Jesus speaking, says, many will say to me, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So there's some people that are doing miracles right now that God says, I don't know you. You're a sinner. But in their mind, they're living off of yesterday's relationship. And that's why I wanted to get to this, you know, message. I guess the message didn't need as much time uh, by way of all of those illustrations because I don't want you to think just merely sinning cuts you off because then you would have to wonder every time I sin, am I cut off from God? And let's be honest, as Christians, have you ever wondered that, right? I mean, that's why the Roman Catholics are still in business. How many know they would try something different if it wasn't working? But it works. What, What works with Roman Catholicism? They get you coming back for more. Why? Because you always have a guilty conscience, don't you? That's why it works. That's why you keep going to Father Tom. That's why I say you, but somebody, they keep going there because it works. You got a guilty conscience, Father Tom. You know, it's like, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's like, whose father am I I talking to? That's how I'm, I'm supposed to talk to Jesus like that. But you ask most Roman Catholics, they think they're talking to the Father like that. 
Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's been so many months since I came to my last confession. And then they confess these things, right? I love Roman Catholics, but I hate Roman Catholicism. And why are they doing that? Because they need their conscience clear. But the Bible says, man, your conscience is cleared in Jesus. My dad, who was once a Roman Catholic, says it like this. When I was a Roman Catholic, I only knew about Jesus. But when I became a born-again Christian, I knew Jesus. I knew him personally. He went from being out there on a statue to being in here in my heart. So I'm not trying to pick on them. I'm just trying to say, you see how I puts you under bondage? You see why Muslims just got done fasting during 30 days of Ramadan? Because they want to get a way out. They, they want a way out. But the Bible says only Jesus brings the way out. But then there are certain Christians that say, well, I'm saved. Well, and then they just keep sinning as much as they want. And the Bible says, you've missed it. You're in dangerous ground. You're not like David because at least David, after he sinned, reads Psalm 51. Take not your spirit from me, O God. Renew unto me a right heart. Forgive me of my trespasses that I can teach sinners your ways. See, David had a true understanding of repentance. So notice what it says here. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? I've even had my Baptist brothers try to tell me, well, that person wasn't really saved. Dude, if that person's not saved, none of us are saved. Listen to what this person had, the blood of Jesus. Now they're walking on it. They were sanctified. Now they're not sanctified anymore. And they had the spirit of grace, but now they don't have the spirit of grace. If someone covered by the blood, sanctified, having the spirit of grace is not saved, then none of us are saved. You all hear what I'm saying? Notice the one who is now lost, who has treated in as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified their neighbor. No, no, no. That sanctified who? Them. The blood of the covenant that sanctified them and has insulted the what? The spirit of grace. Now they're like, man, oh, he's not talking about me. Keep reading. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. Well, I'm a king's kid. Well, you're going to be expected to live like one. He would never judge me. I'm his hente. You, you, you haven't read the book of, uh, of, of Judges yet, and you haven't read the book of First and Second Chronicles. He judged his people all the time. Uzzah was his people, and he struck him down. Are you listening to me? Remember the rebellion of Korah where the earth opened up and swallowed up? Those were his people. Are y'all getting quiet now? You want me to preach how to be blessed and prosper? How to get a bonus this week on your paycheck? I'm asking you to say amen if you believe this. Does God judge his people? Was Uzzah his people? Amen. Was Korah his people? Yeah, and he judged them. Was Samson his people? Yeah, Samson's got his eyes plucked out and taken as a slave made to grind up grain like a mule. Don't tell me God does not judge his people. Was Judas his people? Come on. Yeah, God judges people. He judges his own people. So brothers and sisters, you better walk with fear before the Lord. Listen to what it says. Highlight verse 31. This is your encouragement for the week. Please put this on a scripture on your refrigerator this week. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Amen. I said amen, brothers and sisters. I'm not needing this because I'm insecure. I just want to make sure you get it. That was the message. That was the message, okay? The message is it is a dreadful thing 
to fall into the hands of a living God. So we ought to persevere. Now listen to the encouragement. Remember those early days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side those who were being treated. Thank God for those who have suffered and remained faithful and thank God for, for those who stand with those who suffer. Amen. Don't get away from your brother just because they're suffering. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. They had lost jobs and houses and all of that for Jesus. So do not throw away your what? Your confidence, confide in the Latin, the, the faith that you have. Do not throw that away. It will be richly rewarded. And this was another potential title for the sermon, but I like don't, uh, you know, fall into the hands of an angry God. That's a good one. Or, or you know, uh, it's a dreadful thing to fall into God's hands. But here's the other one I was thinking of. You need to persevere. Everybody say, you need to persevere. Come on, one more time. You need to persevere. Amen. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in a little while, hallelujah, he who's coming will not delay. And my righteous one, come on, will live by faith because he takes no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those that have faith and are saved. Come on, would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Praise God. Ben, would you come, please? Thank you for everyone who participated. God bless you. I love you. Wasn't that fun in church today? We can remove this. Thank you, guys. Oh, Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, meditating on what you gave us now before we leave. Lord, we meditate on what it means to be a Christian. It means to trust the sacrifice of Jesus once and for all. If anyone here has not yet trusted that sacrifice, would you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be saved right now? You will be forever perfected in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The forever lasts for as long as you remain in Christ. Therefore, those of us today who choose Christ should have no fear of judgment. All of us here, come on. If you're becoming a new Christian, just say, I'm one of those. Jesus, you're my Savior. Father, you're my Lord. I'll live for you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, you're the one authoring the laws of God in me right now. And those who are already Christians, would you search your heart to see if there's any sins that you're committing in a continual way that could lead to an unbelief and result in a change of nature. Guard our hearts right now, Father, from anything that would cause us to live in unbelief. Right now, Lord, guard my heart. The same word used for the hardening of the heart that we read in Hebrews, as I've mentioned before, has to do with scoliosis, has to do with the kind of hardening of joints and of bone. And if you've talked to anybody that has had those kinds of issues, they'll tell you it starts gradually and it gets harder and harder to be able to have those muscles and bones function because of the scoliosis. That is the same word used for the hardening of the heart. So listen to me, Christian, here. If you today are playing with sin, do not get a false assurance that you will turn out like David if your heart is not like David. 
In other words, brothers and sisters, as I pray for you in this particular group today, if you are hiding sin, if you are making excuses for sin, if you are desiring a sin and not ashamed of it or in a sense repentive, then check your heart right now. Because more than likely, your heart is getting harder. It's being diseased by that sin. And if you do not root it out now, brother or sister, it will lead to you being cut off. A few moments right now, I ask the Lord for all of us to lay our hearts at the, at the table of the heart surgeon right now. Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me, as David said, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, I will not abuse the spirit of grace. I will not trample on the blood of the covenant today, Father. Convict me, O God, and lead me in the paths of righteousness right now, Father. I beg of you, I plead of you, because I know you love me. You will not leave me in sin. If You will not leave me in a hidden sin. Come on, a few moments right now. And if it is there, just confess. Lord, I confess it. Thank you, Jesus. Conviction is not condemnation. God convicts those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. And then now, lastly, in closing, ask the Lord. As I pray for, for you, would you pray for me? that we'll be a holy people of God, that we will not be those who shrink back. We will not be the hypocrites, but we'll be those who spur each other on. We'll keep meeting together. And Lord willing, as we come back next week and learn about the heroes of faith, we'll be writing our names alongside of them in this generation by God's grace. In other words, we won't just look at Daniel and cheer him on. We'll be with Daniel as he would be in this generation. A few moments, ask the Lord to increase your faith, to purify your heart, to set your life on the path of holiness, to never be the same again. Altar workers, would you come up now, please? If your hearts are pure, if you know you've prayed those prayers, leaders, would you come up? Because others may need your help today. These leaders are not your father. They're not your mother in that way, but they'll be a spiritual guide to you. They'll help you to talk to the Father through the one mediator of Jesus Christ. So in the few moments that we'll have left, if you need prayer, you can come on up. We'll dismiss in just a little bit after that. But we're going to start to pray. We're going to start to worship. Before we go, would you make sure you do this right? I don't know if you're promised tomorrow. because I don't know if you'll see tomorrow because I know nobody's promised tomorrow. I can't make any of those guarantees, but I can say right now, I know God will meet you. Hallelujah. God will forgive you. God will empower you if you need healing. Even come up for that or baptism of the Spirit. Thank you, Ben. Would you lead us in worship? We'll dismiss after this time of prayer and worship. Yes, Lord, do it according to your word. Hallelujah. Spirit within me. One more time, create, create in me a clean heart, oh, oh God, and renew, and renew a right spirit Cast me not away from your presence, cast me not away from your presence, oh Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Thank you, Lord. As we get ready to dismiss, I'll be hanging out until 2 o'clock. If anyone has questions for me, I really don't do pastoral counseling in these settings because I think that needs its own time and place. 
But brothers or sisters, if you're here today and I can encourage you, I'll be right up here hanging out till we leave to go minister to this uh, convention because I want everyone to leave out here understanding this doctrine as well as you can. This is a doctrine of holiness that will bless you. It will keep you. There's two sides to it. On one side is what sinners are and what sinners get, right? And that's the sad part of it. But on the other side that has encouraged me over these years in my studies and in that book, In Him, is the side of understanding your identity, is the understanding of who you are in Christ. And when you live like that, and I did it in my studies, I had tests that I did in surveys. When I taught people this doctrine correctly, they actually lived more holy than they ever had before. So in other words, by teaching them the difference between behavior and nature, just by understanding their nature, their behavior began to follow. And I documented the changes of their lives. And the reason it is, is because as a man thinketh, so is he. If you're always walking around unsure of your salvation, you're unsure of what God did for you, then of course you're going to live a very mediocre, lukewarm life. But when you believe you're sanctified, when you believe you're holy, when you believe God saved you perfectly, you'll start to love the commands of God. It will come naturally, and the Holy Spirit will be there as your guide. You won't ignore Him so quickly, in other words. And so, brothers or sisters, we'll dismiss, keep worshiping. This is actually the song from Psalm 51 that Keith Green wrote. We'll keep singing it, but feel free to hang out and talk with me because I don't want to let this pass anybody by. This is a key component of what we teach in our church. It comes from the Bible. It comes from the holiness preachers, and we love that doctrine here. It's transformed us. So, Father, I ask you to bless us as we leave from this place, but never your presence. Those, Lord, who are learning this doctrine, growing in this doctrine, may they study, not take my word for it, look into these stories, look into these scriptures, see the illustrations, Lord, and may we all grow in this knowledge to become more and more like you in how we live. And, Lord, we now pray for those we're going to reach today at this Triple X conference on a Sunday. God, have mercy. We ask you to empower us, purify us, and help us to show them that you love them despite all this wickedness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Can you bless him, saints? Amen. We love you. You are dismissed. I hope I wasn't too hard on you today. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. God bless you. You are loved. You are sanctified. Hallelujah. More than a conqueror. Amen. Be a queen.